This is Across Culture, the podcast exploring culture, identity, and the Christian faith. I'm Jessie, your host. Hi, everyone. How are you? What have you been up to? Actually, I have a question. How do you feel about small talk? I think it's been really interesting having so many Zoom calls and online meetings. Do you engage in small talk when you're having them? Personally, I can't be bothered. (laughs) It's much easier doing it in person than it is online. And what I'm finding is that the more Zoom meetings I have, the more I realize that I am quite task orientated. So if I'm there for a meeting, I just want it to start on time, finish on time just get stuff done. But some people are more relationship orientated. And today I'm going to talk a bit about a book called The Culture Map, which is written by Erin Mayer. And she talks about how different cultures do things in different ways. For example, some are more high context compared to low context in their communication styles. There's different leadership styles, for example, egalitarian versus hierarchical. And then she splits the book into different categories. For example, how do people decide, how they disagree, how they evaluate. So this book really draws upon examples from the business world, a lot about cross-cultural teams and also talking to clients across culture but I think there's a lot in here that is really interesting even if you're not in a corporate setting yourself. There's also a quiz that you can do online based on the book where you answer certain questions and it plots you on a map so you get your very own culture map and then you can also compare this to certain countries. So I did the quiz I got my individual map and then on the map itself, I compared it against UK and China. And guess what? I'm closer to the UK side for many of these categories. I also want to read something which is from page 244. It says this, The way we are conditioned to see the world in our own culture seems so completely obvious and commonplace that it is difficult to imagine that another culture might do things differently. It is only when you start to identify what is typical in your culture, but different from others, that you begin to open a dialogue of sharing, learning, and ultimately understanding. Obviously, you can't put people in boxes based on their culture. You can't just say, oh, you have this background, therefore you're going to lead in this way, or you're by nature non-confrontational, because personality definitely does have a part to play. But just knowing more about how you do things is also going to help you to be a lot more sympathetic, especially when working across cultures and just communicating well between people. And this episode is with Karina van der Laan, who is passionate about people being able to communicate and more. So it's series three, episode three. So how are you doing, Karina? I'm very well. Thanks, Jessie. Great. It's good to have you on here on the Cross Culture Podcast. So let's begin with you introducing yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? My name is Corina. I am a a Dutch person, 53 years old. I grew up at a farm in a very boring village. So (laughs) when I was young, I already had the urge to explore the world. 
think you have it too. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember that I was feeling bored very often and I was aware that there's a much bigger and more interesting world outside my village. So um, uh, somehow, not because I wanted to, but through circumstances, I became a diplomat. Hmm. And I've worked in the Dutch uh, diplomatic service for about 25 years. And so that took me to faraway places. Um, my first country of service was Zambia. And then I also um, was posted in Congo, where I met my husband. He is from Congo. And uh, so together we uh, went to Sudan, <laughs> Khartoum. <laughs> that was a big adventure. And then... Um, of course, every time you have to come back to the Netherlands. Um, and yeah, I was just working as a, as a diplomat, as a civil servant in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs until I really grew fed up with it. And mm. uh, so for the last two years, um, I quit my job. I've been doing a lot of pastoral care and I'm uh, getting trained as a relationship counselor. And uh, yeah, I'm also specializing myself in intercultural communication. Of course, I already had the experience yeah. being a diplomat and also being married to someone from, uh, from Africa. But uh, I try to study a bit more, um, read through the theories, and um, I've developed some trainings uh, about, I'll tell you more later on. Okay, thanks for your introduction. So I'm really interested in intercultural communication. It's, I haven't really heard of that word before. I wonder, can you just unpack the words for me? What is intercultural communication? All right, well, you know, of course, communication, you know, you transfer a message mm -hmm. and uh, it requires some kind of relationship. So you perceive the other one and you transfer a message and the other one receives it that is basically the process of communication now intercultural means that the actors are not from the same cultural background so if you are um british mm -hmm. uh, from a certain background i guess you are from chinese background yeah yeah that's you, right you come from a certain culture i come from yeah dutch culture mm -hmm. so our communication is intercultural but if for example you come and live in the netherlands and i think you've been in the netherlands for some time yeah. and then you try to adapt to the dutch way of doing things then we talk about cross-cultural communication so you bring your own cultural background but you are now in a different context you are in a different country confronted with a challenge to adapt yourself to that culture so cross-cultural is a little bit different than intercultural communication. So I prefer to speak about intercultural communication, although very often these two are mixed. Later on, we'll see um, if we talk about mixed couples, intercultural couples, mm -hmm. meaning two people from different backgrounds, very often one is living in the country of the other. So mm. that partner is also faced with a kind of a double challenge, not only to communicate well with his own partner, but also to adapt to the culture of the host country. Mm, wow. And then what about multicultural 
communication. Do you ever use that word, multicultural? No, I think that um, um, was used to describe a society. We have a multicultural society. Okay. So you don't necessarily refer to the interaction between the different groups. Mm. You just refer to the coexistence of people from different cultural backgrounds in one particular place. Mm. And I must say, Jesse, that word multicultural, it is sort of out of fashion. I don't hear it anymore. I think the mm. whole focus and the, yeah, the focus on multicultural society has sort of faded away. I, I'd like to believe that is because of a positive reason that we're so much used to it now that we don't really notice it so much anymore. We don't see it as something uh, extraordinary or remarkable. Hmm. I think it's a given. Eh? If Even here in my small town, Barendrecht, you see people with many different colors uh, from de many different backgrounds. So it's even in this small town. It's just a given that we are all people from a different background. That's really good. I hope so as well. But I think I see a process between multicultural and intercultural. So going from the given, the diversity, into actually some kind of communication and relationship. So yeah, that's really cool. So can I ask you, why are you so passionate about intercultural communication? Yeah, I think for my own personality, as I said, I have this deep urge that I want to explore. I'm very curious about everything that is different. And I had that since I was, I don't know, 12 or 15. Mm. And so when I got my job with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, I was really happy that I could travel. Uh, but when I was still a student... I uh, wanted to go to Africa <laughs> and I don't know why. I think this was just something that came up when I was 18 or 19. I just wanted to explore a world that was totally different from my own. Yeah. And is there like a deep drive in me and I don't understand where it comes from. I think God has created me like that. And I think a lot of people have this. They share the same sentiment that they want to know how different other people can be and also discover to what extent are we similar? What do we have in common? And uh, I think that explains at a deeper level my fascination for intercultural interaction or communication. Hmm. And then, of course, later on, the more I experienced in my work, in my friendships with uh, different people, including many Africans, yeah, the more I got sort of rewarded for my motivation and it even triggered more interest. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I was very excited to have friends from all over the world. Mm. And um, before the internet, I was writing letters physically, you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This happened and you put it in an envelope with a stamp on it. <laughs> so I had many pen pals. We would call them pen pals. Pen pals, uh, yeah especially in, uh, in Africa, in Tanzania, in Ghana, in South Africa. Mm. And um, yeah, I've always loved being in touch with people from other countries. I think you must have spent a lot of money on stamps, airmail. Yeah, I think so. I, I think in those <laughs> days, I was always cleverly trying to figure out, you know, how to reduce the, um, 
the the weight like I would use thin paper and get as much words as I could on one sheet of paper right really small (laughs) yeah yeah so you mentioned before that you're involved in pastoral things now I can't remember what words you actually used so I'm thinking what kind of things are you doing pastorally especially regarding intercultural relationships communications that kind of thing. So what are you doing in the church at the moment? Well, uh, pastoral care in a, in a church setting, um, it, it is not really concerned about culture, uh, first of all. It's, it's, it's concerned about the spiritual well-being of the other person. So what I do is I try to encourage people who have issues like sickness or unemployment or maybe uh, depression or they're grieving about something and then uh, it is my task to um, be a support to them like being next to them listening to them but also Mm -hmm. um, bringing them back to God if they have lost it I always ask the question you know where is God for you in this situation Mm -hmm. and um, and uh, most often I have an opportunity to pray with that person and uh, that is basically pastoral care. You try to mm. be a good brother or sister um, and um, seek God together in times of need. Uh, but at the other hand, of course, we are, you know, our church. I think you have interviewed uh, Pastor Theo Visser, who set yes. up the uh, intercultural uh, church plant in Rotterdam. And... Um, Uh, we are dealing with people from 40 different nations. So if I go out and I talk to people and I pray with them and I discuss, you know, their problems that they have or their challenges, I have to do that in an intercultural sensitive way. So I can tell you that if I talk to a Dutch person Mm -hmm. about like relationship issues or a sickness, there are little differences as compared to when I talk to an African sister. Mm-hmm. And so the intercultural communication is, let's say, a dimension of my work, but it's not necessarily mm. a objective. I don't, I, it's not that I try to improve their intercultural communication or interaction. I just have mm. to take that baggage on me in order to be effective in my pastoral work. Mm. So everything that you've learned and are learning about intercultural communication, you use that as a lens, so to speak, a lens that you can look through to enable you to better do your pastoral counselling work. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. I think you could summarise it like that. Hmm, that's really good. How important is intercultural communication in a church? So you spoke about the intercultural church um, that you're in now. But what about a church which has less amount of nations represented? So maybe a church which doesn't have 40 nations, maybe much less. Uh, All right. Well, if a church is less multicultural, uh, is it then important to to be concerned about intercultural communication? Mm. Um, Well, I would say, Jesse, in today's reality, it's hardly possible to have a totally monocultural church community. It's, you mm. will have difficulties or differences. You have differences um, always. Um, 
even if you go to a small village in the UK or in the Netherlands, you will find one or two people who are culturally, culturally from a different background. And yeah. uh, But let me first address the question how important it is to be concerned and aware of these issues in a setting like us, if you're dealing with an intercultural church. You see, um, we should not forget the most important thing that Jesus calls upon us to be one and he calls us to be one as a community because mm. we are diverse. He would not say, oh, please be one, please be united if we're all the same. Mm. So the, the default setting of a church is that we are diverse. Even if you are from a big town and the other one is from a village or one comes from a very upper class family and the other one comes more from uh, like, uh, you know, ordinary people, you also have different family cultures. Yeah. So we are diverse and Jesus calls us to be one. And the interesting thing is if you read the Bible, and you go to um, Acts chapter 11, you'll find that Christians is only a term that came up when the believers came together from different cultural backgrounds. Mm. Uh, this is something that people don't realize. But, you know, the Christianity, when it first came into being, it was just um, a specific movement within the community of Jewish believers. So it was like... You could say a Jewish sect who mm -hmm. did not have the mainstream Jewish belief, but who believed in Jesus the Messiah. So they were not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. The way. But yeah. then, yeah. But then in Antioch, um, you had so many different communities. You read it in Acts. You had uh, people from Greece, uh, people from neighboring countries, from Turkey. And because they started believing in Jesus, but they could not be called followers of the way anymore because they never came from the Jewish faith. So it is first in Antioch that the believers in Jesus Christ were called Christians. And so this is something very deep for me. Huh? It means that as a Christian, my name is derived from the fact that other people from different countries have the same faith as me, but the common denominator is not our own background anymore, the Jewish background. We don't have a common background, but we have a common faith in Christ. And that is why we are called Christians. So the, the first church in Antioch is, is like, for me, like a model church. These people came together. They only had one common base, which, their, which was their belief in Jesus Christ. And they formed a community. And it is in this context that the Apostle Paul says, you know, be one, be united in mm. vision, be one in mind. And so for me, I think that is also at the root of my, my passion, my, my, yeah, my passion to, to be uh, in community with uh, people from different cultural backgrounds. I want to get to know them. I want to get to know them as my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to love them. So I have to get to know them before I get to love them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we are one. Together we have to serve um, the body of Christ. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. And it also makes me think of Ephesians, 
which Paul wrote as well. And in Ephesians, there's a lots of themes about one, being one in Christ. Um, you know, you've got the Gentile believers, Jewish believers, and how do you become one? Um, so that's really important. Thanks for sharing. And also just to remind us that when you're talking about intercultural, that it's not just about different ethnic backgrounds and different cultures in that sense. But like you said, different people from different towns, big town, small town, different classes, different ages. That's also different cultural backgrounds as well. So thanks for that reminder. But uh, yeah, uh, but I realize now, Jesse, I maybe I didn't uh, answer the whole question. Your question was, uh, what is the relevance or what is the importance of intercultural communication in a church setting? So, okay, the first half of my answer would be, okay, go back to Acts and look at how the, the Church of Christ uh, came up. But the second half of my answer is, of course, you know, more from a human perspective, I'd like to answer that. Okay, um, yeah. What I see in church is that uh, the Dutch, we are the majority, we tend to take it for granted that everyone understands our culture um, if you're not really aware of culture and your own cultural background, then by default, you are ethnocentrist, which means you don't really realize how much your own culture has influenced you and you tend to take it like, this is the norm, mm. this is my point of reference, my culture. Mm. Ethnocentric. Then, yeah, ethnocentric. So uh, uh, I see that there is some like miscommunications and sometimes people get hurt or people get disappointed or frustrated because of this dynamic that uh, most people, in particular the majority who feel very confident, uh, are ethnocentric. And I can give you an example if you like. Mm -hmm. uh, I also yes. remember that Pastor Theo, he shared some examples about power distance and hierarchy, which is different in different cultures. Well, I can tell you about um, exclusivity versus inclusivity. Hmm. So if two Dutch people stand together and share coffee after the service, which we did before Corona times, yeah. okay, they share a coffee, they talk to each other, and then someone passes by. This could be a sister from Brazil or from Africa. So she knows that they have seen me and they also see her, but mm. they don't include her in their conversation because the Dutch culture, the way we interact is exclusive. Hmm. I talk to you, Jesse, you talk to me. Someone may pass that we know, but we don't include her in the conversation. Now, this is where a lot of um, people from, let's say, warm climate cultures get upset but these Dutch people, they wonder, how can they be so cold? No, it's not that Dutch people are cold, but our, yeah, our culture is different. I mm. think that you expect me to give your full attention and you expect that from me. So it would be rude if I include someone else into our conversation mm. because we, we both expect the exclusivity of our conversation. And, but if you see two Africans talking to each other and you pass by and they see you and I know that they see me I expect that they include me in their conversation because their culture is inclusive mm. and 
this is what I see happening all the time <laughs> after church when we have fellowship. Uh, a lot of people get hurt in their feelings. And uh, so it's important to have this conversation about cultural differences so that you don't uh, interpret it in a bad way when something like, like this happens. And also to sensitize the Dutch people mm. to be a little bit more inclusive and to be a bit less yeah, individualistic in the, in the way they interact. I'm just thinking for that, is it anything to do with privacy? Some cultures value privacy a lot more. Yes, it is. To some extent, it is. But even if the conversation is not private, yeah. even then, you um, are not inclusive. I mm, understand. Yeah. Mm. So it's good to raise awareness for, you know, the local Dutch, but not just them, awareness for the other minorities within the church. And then through that, then there's the hope that people are less likely to offend one another when they can see where they're coming from. Exactly. Yeah, the whole aim is uh, that we love each other more and that hmm. we don't offend the other unknowingly uh, and that also that people less quickly feel offended so that they can also always give the benefit of the doubt to mm. someone who is from a different culture, knowing that, okay, it's not meant against me. Maybe it's just their culture. Mm. That's good. Let's move on to talking about love and relationships. So earlier you mentioned about sometimes there's intercultural communication, but also perhaps cross-cultural communication too, especially when someone emigrates to a new place. So can you tell us a little bit more about this within the context of romantic relationships? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'd like to state that uh, nowadays in the Netherlands, about 15% of all the new um, marriages are between people from different cultures. Hmm. Um, so this percentage refers to the new couples. And uh, so if we... If I look around me in, in our church, we have a much higher percentage of mixed couples um, because I think relatively um, more often they come to our church if they're from mixed <laughs> cultural backgrounds. Because, yeah, if a Dutch person marries from someone from Latin America or from Asia, they would look for intercultural, uh, inter international church. So I would say we have about 25 or 30 percent of the married couples are from intercultural uh, uh, backgrounds. Mm. And um, uh, so I would say it is important to recognize this and that at the level of the marriage relationship, that you deal with uh, different cultural backgrounds, different norms and values, uh, different behavioral patterns, different core truths uh, that you're not even aware of, yeah. but that can manifest itself uh, in the interaction, in the communication between the couples. And it can create easily miscommunication, irritation, frustration. Hmm. And it, it, can, it, it has a potential to, yeah, disconnect, to create a disconnect between man and wife. And that's why it's important for churches... Uh, and also for like counselors or pastoral workers to be aware that this is an extra challenge. Yeah. In brief, 
as an intercultural couple, you have more to bridge. You have an extra challenge. And I'll come uh, back later to that, what that challenge is. Mm. Now, you've also mentioned the cross-cultural challenge. Mm -hmm. So we have immigrants, uh, not necessarily always married to someone from a different culture. These could also be immigrants from the same country. So I can think of a, a couple from Ghana, and uh, I uh, was lucky to interview them. And I asked them, how different is it for you to be married in the Netherlands? Because you have this cross-cultural challenge. Hmm. You have to adapt to what's going on here. And if you speak to uh, maybe the teachers in school, you know, you, if your children have a problem, uh, it's different than when you were in Ghana. Yeah. Also, the man and wife relationship, the power relationship is changing. Because in a lot of countries like in Africa, uh, the, the, the society is more male-oriented. Mm -hmm. The men are in a much stronger, more dominant position. So women often, they resent that. They come to the Netherlands or they come to Western Europe and they see, oh, but women's rights are recognized here. Mm. You know, men and women, equality, it's so much, uh, it's so strong, so they feel they can act out and sometimes they go a little bit overboard. And uh, they, we have seen examples of women calling the police when they fight with their husband right. because they think, oh, you know, the authorities here, they favor the women. So if I don't agree with my husband, mm. then uh, I can use that power against him. Wow. And um, of course, you have to understand that this comes from their own sentiment of being not heard and not being uh, uh, respected well enough in their past. So it's, it's like almost like they are trying to get back at their husband. And so you understand, Jesse, that if a couple comes from such a different cultural background to the Netherlands where the context is different, their relationship also changes. And this is just one example that I gave you, the power relations, they shift. Uh, but there could be other reasons why their relationship changes in the Dutch context. I've mentioned the children. You know, when you try to bring up the child according to your own cultural tradition, but you see that in school, they learn the Dutch values and the Dutch way of doing things. Hmm. It can also create a clash that can also import tension into the home, into the family. Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting that the couple, both of them are from Ghana and they come to the Netherlands and they have to work through this cross-cultural cross challenge. But imagine one person's from Ghana, one person's from the Netherlands, they'll have extra challenges there because it's one person's home culture. And then what about one person's from Ghana, one person's from, I don't know, China, and then they're in the Netherlands and there's extra dimension of challenge there as well. So it's so interesting. I didn't even think about if two people are from the same country and their challenges. Obviously they do, but for some reason I didn't think about that when we were talking about intercultural communication. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I, 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 I can say a little bit more about uh, how it's manifest. Um, uh, I was also interviewing a, a Chinese couple. Uh, this may interest you. Mm -hmm. they, uh, they said, yeah, you know, in China, 
the family is so important. Uh, and I also see this um, in Africa, by the way. When you marry someone, you get attached to a family. You just don't marry that person. Mm. But in a way, you also marry the family of that person. <laughs> so family is so important. And that means that the family takes on a part of the responsibility for the marriage relationship, for the marriage happiness. Mm. Now, that means that if you have a problem with your husband, then the family gets involved in solving it. Mm. And I see, I've seen that also in Africa. It's very beautiful. You know, in the Netherlands, we don't have this system. You see, if I might have a problem with my husband, you know what I do, Jesse? What? I call his mother. <laughs> And then the mother will sort him out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and if that doesn't work, okay, we organize a meeting. Mm. We sit together. Yeah. And maybe there's also someone from my family who wants to get involved, although the Dutch normally don't like to do that. But <laughs> if, if I were African, married to African, yeah. or let's talk about two Chinese, the family would come meet and try to solve the issue. Mm. And it's not the same as therapy, you know, but it is very effective and you feel also that you have a support system so psychologically it's very powerful mm. i'm not alone with my marriage issue with my husband i can always fall back on the family but imagine now you're in the netherlands and okay we have whatsapp we can video call etc but it's still not the same if you are here without family then that is a big change it's a big loss mm. and um, the lack of nearness of family members affects the, fa the marriage relationship of a lot of migrant couples that are here in the Netherlands that is what we have heard when we interviewed couples from uh, from other parts of the world wow yeah I can see that but then what are the ways that they can overcome these kind of challenges then if they're if they're close family unit is not easily accessible or available to them. So how can they substitute this kind of support? Yeah, that is hard um, because the, the confidence you have in family members is quite unique. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say, oh, the church could play that role because we are also family in Christ. But the reality is that very often the level of confidence that people have in a pastor or a pastoral worker is not the same as the confidence they have in their own parents or their own brothers and sisters. Mm. But still, I think as a church, in particular the intercultural church, we have to take up that challenge. We have to work on that confidence, on that love, open relationship, not judging people, um, um, making them feel comfortable that they can share their issues with us. Mm. in all discretion so uh, my husband and I since we are married in 2006 uh, we are intercultural couple we've sort of gravitated toward a lot of other intercultural couples just unconsciously you do that you know yeah. you always make friends with people <laughs> who are similar yeah and we've also started counseling just like you know automatically we we started doing that talking about others about the relationship and now that uh, we are in um, in the church setting, um, um, this is a bit more like uh, formal, a bit more structured. 
that we try to counsel uh, couples and we try really, the first thing we try is to work on that confidence that people can talk to us in all discretion um, and uh, we will not tell them, oh, we know better or this is what you do. No, no, no. Mm. They can just share with us whatever they want to share. We are like family and uh, yeah, we make them talk through things, facilitate a discussion and help them to work things out themselves. Um, and um, it's not always successful, I'm, I must admit. But uh, we've also seen some positive uh, effects, some positive changes in people's life mm. when they open up as if we are their family and they let us in and together you discuss um, very often for the person who is most burdened about the marriage problem, it's a, directly a relief. Hmm. Oh, I have someone to talk about it. Uh, I have someone who listens to me. Wow. So, yeah, most often it has some, um, it has positive effect. Hmm. Wow, I see you're both doing really worthwhile work over there. So keep going. And, yeah, um, thanks. I hope, yeah, I hope it can also be expanded to intercultural churches across Europe, across the whole world. Hey, that should be another thing that ICP can do. <laughs> um, yeah. So earlier you mentioned about some challenges that intercultural couples can face. So are there any examples that you're able to share with us now? Yeah. You see, you would think, oh, intercultural couples, they have problems because they're from different cultures. Hmm. Isn't it? This is what most people think. Hmm. But it isn't. In fact, the problem does not arise because you're from different cultures. Oh. Most often, and there is literature that also uh, justifies this, mm -hmm. most often the problem comes from what we call external stress factors. Right. Um, imagine, I, I know a couple, um, the guy came from the Philippines, they had a hard time getting his visa because there's all kinds of requirements. You have this uncertainty, this insecurity. Mm. Meanwhile, if there are babies on the way, it can be very, very, very stressful. And so that's one source of stress, immigration, visa issue. Mm. The other issue is the person coming over to the Netherlands has to uh, adjust to the new context, learn the language. Uh, that's stress. And the third um, stress factor I'd like to mention is finances. Because the person coming over to the Netherlands does not have a Dutch diploma, has a, like um, a bad starting point at the Dutch labor market, cannot find a well-paid job like Dutch people do. And so it's quite likely that intercultural couples have a lower income than the monocultural couples. Hmm. And the financial stress factor um, is also very direct if one of the partners is from a country that is not as developed as the Netherlands. Hmm. Like my husband is from Congo. We send money home to his uh, mother and also sometimes to other relatives who need help, mm -hmm. like for medical bills and for school fees. And when I talk to mixed couples uh, with one African partner, they all do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Everyone is sending money home. And, but if your income is uh, lower than average, and if you have that extra burden, 
you can imagine it leads to um, financial stress. And uh, Jesse, let me tell you, if people fight, very often, if a couple fight, it's about money. Hmm. And you see all these stress factors, uh, cultural adaptation, uh, work, finances, finding a house, visa issues. Hmm. If you combine that to all the potential that there is for misunderstanding and miscommunication, wow. um, yeah, then you can imagine that there you have to be careful and you have to be aware uh, of the situation you're in. And you have to talk about it deliberately, make time, and also uh, research your own cultural assumptions. Hmm. Always talk about it. I can tell you with my husband, we talk about anything because it's, it's so important to talk because quickly you may have a miscommunication, you know? So yeah. you never run out of conversation. <laughs> you always have to, yeah, like... Why do I clean the kitchen this way? Hmm. Why do I only do the laundry on certain days? Uh, like there's the most trivial things we do may have uh, some kind of a, a cultural value uh, lying underneath. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's so interesting that it's so much of the, the external factors that actually cause these challenges as well as different things within different cultures. So yes, I think communication is really key. Clear, good intercultural communication. Yes, and uh, if I may add, Jesse, because I realize I've been talking about problems and challenges and difficulties, but the intercultural communication is so much fun. <laughs> uh, uh, as I said, I. I never run out of conversation with my husband. But this is also, I think, unconsciously the reason why I uh, fancied more the men from other cultures. <laughs> I found it more enriching. Yeah. I found it more interesting. Yeah. And I'm sorry for the Dutch men who might be listening to your <laughs> podcast, but I thought being married to a Dutch man is very boring. <laughs> uh, now, this may be my, 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 my own misconception, huh? <laughs> I realize that, but you see, uh, most Dutch, most mixed couples, when I interview them and I ask them, what do you like about your intercultural relationship? They said, it is very enriching. Hmm. It opens up a whole new world. Hmm. It, it, it gives you so much more insight in things. Um, you also borrow the good things from each other culture. Yeah. So it's like you become a more improved version of yourself through... Uh, your relationship with a person from a different culture. Hmm. I see that. And also, you see the diversity of how God created cultures and people, and you're able to like live in that and experience that daily, which I think is amazing. You know, if we're all created in God's image, but then there's so many different kinds of people, cultures, and yeah, so it's wonderful, I think. Yeah, I think it's a, a big joy, actually. You know, there are challenges, but the joys are greater. Mm, absolutely. Hmm. So we're going to come to the end of the interview now. Would you like to say anything else before we close? Yes, um, there's one thing I'd like to mention. Um, you have mentioned ICP, the Intercultural, the intercultural Church Plant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, 
People may not know this organization, but it's really very interesting. It's an umbrella organization for intercultural churches yeah. in, uh, well, in the Netherlands, but even beyond the Netherlands. Now, ICP and, uh, and, and I, we are setting up a number of trainings. Mm. Uh, we have uh, already done two training for pastoral workers and pastors who want to improve their counseling skills for intercultural couples and migrant couples. And we call this um, Interkultureel Huwelijkspastoraat. Um, okay. So we have been training so far, I think about 15 or 20 pastors and pastoral workers in the Netherlands. Mm. Uh, but we want to open it up also for churches outside the Netherlands. We're going to do an English version of it. Yes. That is one thing. And the, the other thing I'd like to mention, which is even more interesting, um, uh, ICP and I, we are developing an intercultural communication training mm -hmm. for intercultural couples. Mm. Uh, so if you're a mixed couple, um, and in particular those who have not been together for so long, Let's say you've been together for three or five years. You still have a lot to learn from each other and from each other's culture. Then this is a very interesting training. It's three evenings. It's quite in-depth. And uh, we look at a lot of resource material about uh, intercultural communication. And also we look at relationship issues. So any question um, that couples may have uh, that is like, wider or different in nature eh? for example how can you best fight <laughs> without <laughs> escalation yeah um those are not typically questions around intercultural communication but even those questions we take them on board and um we um yeah we aim to have a really a comprehensive training program wow I'm really glad you're doing work with ICP and thanks for telling us about those events. Do you have any links or something or dates that I can um, tell people? We will do a free webinar. Um, I think that will be early March. Um, the webinar for intercultural communication for intercultural couples. Mm -hmm. And um, the information will soon be on the website, ICP Network. Dot nl wonderful so i'm gonna put that in the show notes in the description of this podcast episode yeah thanks yeah thanks so much corina i really enjoyed having you on the show and i learned a lot as well thank you for being here it was my pleasure <laughs>